0: Miller for three. Ow! Oh, he backed it in! He backed it in! And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it! Go. O'Neill drives on Yao. puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony <laughs> oh, Denies him at the rim. Harris Levert, people don't realize how good he really is. Levert, skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Savonis for the basket. Jackson
1: turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and This is T.J. McConnell,
0: and you're listening to Setting
2: the Pace. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Happy Sunday, Monday to you. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving week and got some nice r in there and got some nice food. But we got to see two Pacer games this weekend. We got to see a win against the Raptors. And then Sunday night, a loss against the Milwaukee Bucks. And joining me now, after an 11-hour trip back from New York, the one and only Michael J. Faci Happy post-Thanksgiving to you, brother. Hey, I hope you had a
3: great Thanksgiving. Yep, fresh off the car ride from hell. Uh, I would have loved to return to a Pacers W, but uh, that was not quite the case. Alex, I don't want to pencil the Bucks in as a constant loss, but it's another reminder we're just not at that level yet.
2: Here's what I'll tell you. The only thing you need to know is the largest lead for the Bucks was 22. The largest for the Pacers was two. Uh, points in the paint, 62 Bucks, 36 Pacers. Like, That pretty much just says it all. Shooting was pretty bad from the Pacers' side of things, just 41% from the field, 26% from three. I mean, you know, they couldn't throw uh, water into the ocean at this point, Fauci, watching this Pacers team play. I mean, really, aside from Karis LeVert, it felt like the entire team. I I mean, McConnell had some nice moments there as well, but really, aside from Karis LeVert being 9 of 13 for 23 points, this team looked terrible. DeMonte Sabonis and Miles Turner combined two of 12. I mean, it's just it's just gross. I mean, I turned it off in the fourth quarter. I had to after Quinn Buckner made this statement. He was like, the Pacers went without any centers in the lineup for a moment there, Fachi, to start the fourth quarter, change it up a little bit, just to switch everything, play smaller, see so if they get out and run, that kind of thing. And Jeremiah Johnson came on and said something about playing with no centers and then. Quinn was like, "Well, the Bucks really aren't playing with the center either. I mean, Giannis is out there, but he's not really a center. It's like he's seven foot tall and two hundred and forty five <laughs> yeah. pounds. He he's can bigger than our center alone. Like, what are we talking about? Like, no, he's not a whatever you want to call it, quote unquote center. But he's been playing center for how many how many games now throughout the last couple of years? Like, it was just so annoying. I had to turn it off."
3: He could pretty much play any position except we're not going to put him at the two guard. But, I mean, this this man can handle the rock. He can do it all. I mean, yeah. that's why he's, you know, MVP Defensive Player of the Year. He can do just about everything. But, yeah, you mentioned 2 of 12 from Sabonis and Turner. I mean, if you ever showed me a game that we can win when Sabonis goes 2 of 12, I would say that's an absolute fluke because that <laughs> is not the recipe for uh, winning basketball. And then you mentioned Levert, 23 points. Yeah, that's great. But 18 of them came in the first half. So, yeah. and that's when it looked like it was a close game, being a five-point game. Second half was anything but, but like I said, I like I tweeted out, as long as we didn't get Giannis, you know, taking photographs and all over ESPN on this on the bench. But at that point, man, I guess we could move on without being highlighted for all the wrong reasons.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. I mean, I, I think Indiana is just the sports fan base right now of Indiana Pro Teams is just very uh very and they're in a bad spot right now because the Colts just lost a heartbreaker to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Game they should never have lost whatsoever. Just idiotic stuff happened to them there in that second half and puked it away. And then you come and get a get a watch the Bucks beat all over the Pacers. So it's like, you know, it's just like not a great day to sit here and like be excited about Indiana sports. But with that being said, I mean, I knew this game was probably going to go this way. I'm sure you anticipated a loss like this as well.
3: Unfortunately. Uh,
2: nobody to guard Giannis, not enough shot creators. The Bucks were forcing us to shoot a lot of threes. A lot of our threes were terrible, uh, you know, 12 shots.
3: 45.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ugh. it's just like they were forcing us to shoot threes. We're not really a good, consistent three-point shooting team. Every time Duarte shoots the ball, he's grabbing his elbow in his arm. It's like something's clearly not right with him. They put Jeremy Lamb in there to, to try to get some offense going in the in the first half because they're just like, look, we don't have anybody to really shoot the ball. Torrey Craig's not a shooter. McConnell was taking 10 seconds to wind up to shoot threes. I mean, I think he only ended up shooting, like, what was it, two of them, but like the two that he took looked absolutely disgusting. So just one of those nights. I mean, Turner, he had one that was way off. I mean, I, I don't know. I think the Pacers might be like us, Fachi. They just see this team on the schedule. They're just like, yeah, scheduled loss, right? So not much to say about this game, but uh, we do have a lot of mailbag questions, and today is our Monday mailbag. So we're not going to do player of the week this, uh, this, uh, this Sunday. We're not going to be doing our rookie report yet just because it's been such a long weekend. We're all trying to come back and get ready for that. So Tuesday we will do that. But we're definitely going to take a quick break right now, unless you have anything else you want to say on this game, Fachi.
3: I just want to move on. Yeah. I'm moving on to the next game. <laughs>
2: all right. So just like this game, we're just going to act like it didn't happen. We're going to take a quick break real quick. Be right back. All right, everybody, it's time for the peppiness to change a little bit, get that negative taste out of our mouth, because it is time for us to answer your questions here on Mailbag Monday. So, Fachi, let's get things started off right here with Faithful Listener, Faithful Question cinderender Samuel Corbettson at SJC2397. At what point do we put some of the blame on Carlisle? Because last year we blamed Nate Bjorkman for a lot of things, and this year we haven't. Uh, seen or we haven't been that much better should carlisle get some of the blame or no
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast
3: I'm not ready to put the blame on Carlisle because I, I like the fact that he's at least experimented to do with different things. And at times it's worked. I feel like we've heard from you know people that followed those Mavs teams closely in the past that Carl likes to tinker around with some lineups. And I, I think he's he's doing that. I think that this team's starting to get healthier. We're starting to see, you know, the... Play close in a lot of games, but with Bjorkren, it was like this guy was an absolute madman. I mean, we heard yeah. how he didn't want Brogdon taking any mid-range shots at all. Didn't even believe in mid-range shots. Uh, and I know a lot of coaches are frown upon the mid-range, but it seemed like Björkrin had his style, and he wasn't going to listen to anyone. He wasn't going to hold any of the players accountable. At least we're seeing Carlisle hold players accountable. So I'm not ready to put blame on Carlisle yet.
2: No, I mean, first and foremost, if you want to get mad about Anything, I see I think you should just look at the roster construction. Yeah. If that's what you want to be mad about, because you know you've got you got three different coaches in three years and you're kind of getting the same results. Like maybe not as bad, maybe not as good as uh Nate McMillan's, you know, final year because he had a pretty good regular season. But still, this has been a really tough schedule. We've talked about a lot of games on the road. They're back home now for a little bit. They go on the road one more time against the Timberwolves Monday, but then they're home for like another three or four games. So a big stretch of games at home coming up in December. Schedule gets a little bit easier. Not, I mean, the Pacers have played the most games, I think, out of any team in yep, the NBA the so far. So I just, I think overall they've played the most games in the NBA. So it's just one of those things. They've had a tough, I mean, they're playing almost every night. There's no off night, really for this team. So give them a little bit of time just to get some rest, stay home, see how, it, how, see how things go before we start blaming Carlisle for everything. But I'm just not ready to put the full blame on him. I'm, I'm sure there are things he could do better. But at the same time, he doesn't know this roster incredibly well, so he's experimenting with different things. So I think that Nate Bjorkman, it was just more of a how he handled the players, how he handled his coaching staff. It was a personnel it – was, it wasn't like a X's and O's thing, more so of a – How he treated people, thing like just a relationship level. So, exactly. That's that's where I think you got to give Carlisle some benefit of the doubt because he's built a good coaching staff. Their plus minus has gotten a lot better. I think they were before tonight's game, they were a a positive and point Mm -hmm. differential. The defense has gotten much better. So, you're seeing improvements. It's just taking a little bit of time because of all of the nuances, the injuries, that kind of stuff.
3: It's taking time. We're seeing the team in, in a better direction. I mean, you mentioned you had a tweet out there that basically you know, in the month of November before this game. I mean, they were two games above 500. So they had improved, you know, through the first 19 games, 12 of them were on the road. So, I mean, that that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, tw- you know, 12 games on the road as opposed to seven at home through the first 19, I-, I know that specifically. So we're seeing this team make some changes around. But with Bjorkren, I mean, you saw the team just play no defense at all. None. I mean, when Carl inherited this roster, it was to try and get back to being at least a respectable defensive team and they're really starting to do that. So, you know, this team still has a long ways to go, but I would put this more on the front office construction of the team, just like you said before I put it on Carlisle.
2: Yeah, and and just real quick on Bjorken be because you said, like, they didn't play any defense at all. It was funny because Miles Turner was on a podcast last week with Zach Noble and uh, Roosh Williams on the Balls Live podcast. And Zach's going to be joining us on Tuesday to – give us a little bit of thoughts on that podcast and kind of recap the Timberwolves-Pacers game because he is a T-Wolves guy. But with that being said, one of the things Miles said is his favorite defensive uh, system was the Navy-Organ system. (laughs) So a lot of it was just to, like, funnel everything to Miles, though. Mm -hmm. And Miles got to just kind of stay there and uh, protect the rim. But with that being said, it really hurt this team in in the long haul because when Miles went out, they didn't have anybody else. So it was just like this is a not a great – it's a very flawed system. But let's move on. we got a lot of questions. So up next, another faithful listener and uh, uh, consistent question sender-ender. That is Adehu Pacers. He said, many teams are getting off to slow starts this season primarily due to injury. This has been a major issue for the Pacers the past four to five seasons. Do you think we will see more of an emphasis from the organization – to acquire players with little to no injury history going forward.
3: I hope so. I hope so because it's finally hit its point where it's like when you're looking in the bargain bin and you're trying to find a bunch of deals. Uh, sometimes they're they're not the best deals. You know, sometimes it's like a hey, you know, th- this being a a little bit dinged and twenty five percent off. It, it, it's it's a reason. It's I don't want to say broken, but it's it's a little bit damaged, and that's what some of these players, unfortunately, when they're coming to the Pacers. Coming to the Pacers with an injury history, that doesn't just go away. Guys don't just like shake off major injuries for the most part. It tends to linger. And I, I think that the Pacers would be doing everybody a disservice if they continue that trend. Because eventually, I mean, it, it's going to end up with you're going to have a couple guys that you're paying, but they're not playing.
2: Yeah, so that's a great point. We've talked about it a lot. They go after these kind of guys because they're cheaper to get. But you're hoping you can maximize on their talent if they're healthy. And you're hoping that with your great training staff that you're able to get them healthy. But like you said, if they've got that injury history, there's only so much a training staff can do. They can do a great job of helping them rehab and recover, but it's not going to keep them, prevent them from getting or re-aggravating injuries. So I completely understand your frustration, Aaron. I'm right there with you. That's why they go out and, you know, they draft guys like Duarte and Isaiah Jackson that aren't really known for injury problems. And hopefully they can hit on those guys. So that's the way you should try to build. Maybe if you're making trades, don't trade for someone that's got a lengthy injury history. But at the same time, look at the deals they've made for those players. They've never really given up much. So No,
3: they've been favorable in in our situation. They really have.
2: So, I mean, you can't blame them. But at the same time, they need to be held accountable. Because if your best players are always hurt and you're trying to prove this, fan base that you're trying to be a tough out in the playoff you got to get to the playoffs first you got to play enough games to get to the playoffs and if these players don't do that then that's where you're kind of stuck at so um let's move on Zachary Barnett says any teams that have improperly used trade pieces the Pacers should go after I personally think that the Kings try and move Fox or Boston moves off Marcus Smart and I think the roster needs something
3: look You always want to look at the Kings if you're looking for a team that could be selling. But I know that they love De'Aaron Fox over there. I mean, he's handsomely paid. I know that we would not be able to uh, trade Malcolm Brogdon this year. And I don't think they're looking to give up um, De'Aaron Fox. So, man, obviously you and I have talked about that, that it would be great to acquire Fox. But I don't think that he's available. It gets tough. Even uh, Marcus Smart signed a $77 million contract. Uh, A few months ago, I think it was in August. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy that you're paying for, you know, just on the defensive side of things. So I don't know if Smart's the guy either. Man, I really don't know who else is out there, but I do think there'll be some rumblings maybe over the next month or two as we start to inch a bit closer to the trade deadline. But for now, it's hard to tell.
2: Well, just I thought it was hilarious. As I'm asking this question, I got a message on Twitter from – our, our good friend Gavin who's at grew world and he didn't send a question, but he does sometimes. And it was actually a link from, um, from an article that was giving a trade suggestion involving the Kings and, and the Pacers. And it said to Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley to the Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Torrey Craig, and the 2026 first round pick. Um, I don't know if that's enough I don't know to get Fox out of there, but I didn't make this straight up. Just throwing it out there from Grant Afseth. He um, used to cover the Pacers for a while. Yeah. I think he does a lot of Dallas Mavericks work now. So, um, you know, shout out to Grant. But that's um, that's an interesting trade. I, I would actually be okay with it. You know, at this point, I'm, I think this Pacers team needs a little bit of a shakeup. You get more athleticism. You get more ball creation with De'Aaron uh, with Fox in a different way. I mean, Sabonis is still a really good shot creator, ball creator as well. But at the end of the day, looking at the Kings, you know, like we've talked about Buddy Heald. We felt like that, you know, ships kind of, you know, sailed already. But at the same time, like, imagine the Bucks playing this zone against us and we got Buddy Hill out there. If Buddy Hill's on, I mean, he can really provide something, you know. Same with Harrison Barnes. Like, Harrison Barnes is someone that I think would be the best person we've had to guard Giannis out of this roster for the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's players like that that you could look at. I would, I would actually welcome a Marcus Smart hiring or a hiring uh, trade just because i like marcus smart i think that he provides something in terms of that you know dog mentality that we've talked Definitely. about so i would be okay with either of those types of moves but at the same time it's just like i don't want to trade domas or miles if you feel like you're getting less than equal value in a trade
3: that that's the thing look marcus smart like look there is a lot of things that he brings to the table offense is not one of them so if you have to trade a good amount to bring him in there you, you got to then ask yourself, how much better does this make this Pacers team? Yes, he brings some great intangibles, but, you know, his new contract pays him right around about $18 million per year. So he's in that 18 to $20 million range. So he's pretty handsomely paid. So it, it complicates things a bit. But, um, hey, we're going to have to wait and, and see what other names pop up.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. But as we get closer to December, that December 15th deadline, when people can start becoming – trade eligible or whatever that date is now i know it's been kind of tinkered with because of the weird schedule that we had in the offseason but just keep an eye on out you know we're coming up among trade trade season here within the next couple of months so would not be surprised if we hear pacers players and, and and trade rumblings but this comes from at dj davis law he said what changes do you expect when warren returns hopefully in december
3: uh, the, the easiest thing to say is Justin Holiday to the bench. I mean, TJ Warren is not going to be on this team to be coming off the bench. He, You got to imagine he's he's plugged in right in that starting lineup. So you imagine it's in a perfect world if everyone's healthy. Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, you know, uh, Sabonis, Turner. Like, the, 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 those are your five right there. Um, hopefully, at that point, the bench is looking, you know, pretty steady with – Duarte, Justin Holiday. I mean, and everybody else. But that that's what I would say would be the changes. I don't think that they're going to move one of the bigs to the bench yet unless it's, I think that's going to be a last resort. Yeah,
2: no, yeah. I know. Yeah, I could see them playing a little bit smaller at times mm-hmm. with Warren at the four, and they won't start out that way, but it will give you a little bit more of a dynamic where you can maybe play Warren at the four and Duarte at the two and and – and Karis at the three with Malcolm at the one, and then play one of your centers at the five. Like that's a really intriguing lineup. But I think it, you know, you bring Justin off the bench. You you hope that you get some more shooting with that bench unit. Probably means Keelan Martin's out of the rotation at that point. So you're probably going with McConnell, Justin, Duarte, and Tori Craig with one of the bigs in that mix. So that's how I would see it. I think that TJ, you just want to see him get back to him to himself at some point at the end of the season, but getting into it, you want to just see him have a limited minutes restriction, see how he defends. We know we can score the basketball. I don't think scoring will be a big thing, but I want to see how he plants his foot, that kind of stuff, because that's going to be the biggest thing for him, you know, moving his feet on defense. I mean, he's a good player. I think sometimes because he's been so out of our minds so for so long, we forget how dynamic of a player he can be when fully healthy. So if he can come back fully healthy and get to that point, you know, earlier than we we hope he can, then then you're gonna have higher expectations for this team. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem realistic that he does, knowing how long he's been out the century.
3: Yeah, I mean, guys, expect something similar to when Karis Levert first came back, where it could look real rusty out there, it really could. So give him some time. I know that even sounds like a crazy statement because of how much time we've been waiting, but we're going to wait for him to come back and then we're going to be waiting even longer for him to get back to himself. So expect it. All
2: right, Fachi. So let's move on to our next question here. This comes from, uh, at P O O T T Y T. He said, how am I supposed to feel when I'm starting to come around on the Pacers team? And then I see this and it was a quote tweet from something I had posted earlier in the day. And basically that tweet was from a comment from the Bill Simmons podcast. Um, Haralibos Vulgar- Vulgaris. I'm, I'm sure you guys, most most of you guys remember reading articles about him being with the Dallas Mavericks front office. And he used to be a big sports gambler. He used to come on the Bill Simmons podcast at Grant Lindell, that stuff all the time. And then he got picked up by the Mavericks, Mark Cuban, and then they put them on their front office team. And anyway, he knows Rick Carlisle. He knows Jenny Busek, and, and he knows Matt Weiner from his time with them in Dallas. And he said he watches a lot of Pacer games just because he likes those people. He's good friends with them. And he said, when looking at the roster, He said, it's a pretty flawed roster in terms of the Pacers. This is no real hope. They're kind of on the hamster wheel of mediocrity. And so the reason I shared that one is because it was in like perfect alignment with what Kevin Pritchard said he doesn't want to do with putting this roster on the treadmill of mediocrity. So that's why I tweeted it out. If you're wondering why I did that, because it was just so crazy to me. But, you know, the question, the question here was, you know, How is he supposed to feel when it's starting to come around this team? And then you see that. I think for me, just knowing that Haralabob was part of the front office and that's how he views this Pacers roster. It gives you a little bit of an insight on probably what other GMs think of the Pacers talent and and their roster construction.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you pretty much hear that. And all you could say is a sarcastic, wow, thank you very much. Um, Sounds good to me because it's like, that sounds horrendous. I mean, that just sounds like, basically everyone's like, yeah, this roster has no hope. It's only a matter of time before it gets blown up. But I mean, in reality, I bet if you did ask a ton of GMs and they would all stay anonymous, they would probably say, yeah, this roster is probably not going to work. And I think the Pacers want that final experiment, finally seeing these five play together. We don't know if it's ever going to happen, but that's what they want. Just to finally then say, hey, either it did work or it didn't. And, yes, this roster is flawed, but you know what? We need to get them all together just so we can finally leave no stone unturned.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair point, but I also think at some point they're just like, we think Carlisle can be this magician and change everything. I mean, that's not going to be the case. I mean, Coach look, can we do so
3: much. Right,
2: right. I mean, and the talent, the roster talent is limited, right? So we know that. But all in all, I just, I just think that this front office is being patient not rushing to make a move, hoping that maybe some of their guys play really well so they can have higher value when they do indeed move them. But coming up after this season, you're not going to have much trade value for guys like Turner and Karis Levert because they'll be in an expiring deal. You know, if a team really wants Turner, now would be the time to trade for him. Same with LeVert or same with Sabonis because they've got multiple years left on their deal. Won't be when they're expiring contracts. So I think that that's something to keep an eye on as we approach the trade deadline and just kind of see how this team really feels about this roster. And I think by the end of December, you'll get a good pulse on what they're probably going to do based on how this record looks. But let's move on to our next question. And I tried to get an answer back, but I did not get one back or haven't seen one back from uh, from Jamie's. He said, are you looking forward to December 15th and Fachi? What is the only thing happening on December 15th?
3: That is when a lot of players are finally eligible to be traded. I mean, basically uh, okay. any, any free agent uh, playing on a standard NBA contract may not be traded until the later of the latter of three months after they sign or December 15th, that is by NBA rules. So I guess that would include like a TJ McConnell or a few <laughs> others. Um, I mean, I'd have to really go back and look at every guy that was signed this offseason. So, you know, I don't have December fifteenth circled on my calendar by any means, but I think that things could get a little interesting after that date.
2: Yeah, so we play the Bucks that night too,
3: which <laughs> yeah, is so like what you message forward to that day now. Yeah, so you messaged me that
2: you're like, it's talking about the Bucks game, and I was like kind of like half-heartedly watching the game when he texted me that. And I was like, I don't really know. And then I forgot I just said this like maybe like five minutes ago in conversation where I was like, yeah, December 15th is a cutoff date. and I don't even think – I didn't put two and two together. But now that you say that, it does make a lot of sense. It does make guys more eligible for trades. Now, I would be shocked if the Pacers made a trade that early into December. So um, I would say January at some point, middle of January, would is when I would expect a trade. But uh, if, the deal, if a deal comes, you know <laughs> – and it comes knocking on your door, you have to answer it, and that's what happens. I mean, most of the time, Pacers, when they do make a trade, it's just kind of out of nowhere, like the whole Karis Lavert Victor Oladipo thing. Like, nobody anticipated the Pacers getting in on a James Harden deal, so that was interesting. But um, in terms of, like, blowing up the roster, I'm mean, sure. I mean, I'm ready to make some moves. It's getting yeah, a little bit I would sn- love to. It's It's kind of like when you open up a box of cereal and, you know, you, you close the plastic when you're done with your first bowl. You, you continue to get it for a couple of days, and then, you leave it up in the cabinet for like a week or two, and then you're like, I want some cereal again. Well, then you open up the box, and you see that the plastic has slowly kind of opened up, and then you go to pour it, and you bite into that cereal, and it's just a little bit stale. It don't taste nearly as fresh as when you first opened it. That's kind of what it is with this Pacers roster. They're just like a stale box of cereal. Like, it's – Man, it's like I would you put love some...
3: that quote out there. Pacers considered stale box of cereal. I
2: mean, it's just like you put some milk on it. It tastes okay, but – you know, it's just like, it doesn't really uh, satisfy you like you want it to. And it's not going to get you very far in terms of satisfaction. So uh, let's move on to our next question. Jake X line said, I know it's early, but based off of the sample size we have, what is a good player arc for uh player arc comparison for Chris Duarte? He said, I'm thinking clay tops.
3: Yeah. Everybody loves the Dominican clay, you know, comparison over there. And like, I mean, I I, I like it. I, I, I wish that Duarte can be, you know, 75 to 80% of the player Clay Thompson is because Clay Thompson is a really good player, one of the best three-point shooters ever, Um, a three-time NBA champion. I mean, the accolades go on. The guy guy dropped 60 points, and I think it was three, whatever it was. He I think it was 60 and three-quarters against the Pacers, or, or he had, what was it, 38 in one quarter, whatever it was. He, he torched us for over yeah. 30 points in one quarter, I remember. He wasn't even dribbling. He was just catching and shooting. So, yeah. I, I mean, that that's the common comparison going around. For right now, I, I guess I would have to agree that that's, that's what I wish could happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird because Clay is not a guy that puts the ball on the floor very much. And he's a good defender, though. I think Duarte is a better, you know, dribble uh, you can
3: make more plays. I yeah, he's he's
2: better off the dribble, in my opinion, than Clay probably is. I don't think Clay's really a great off the dribble kind of shooter. He can do it on occasion, but most of the time he's coming off screens and getting yeah. good pin-down looks and stuff like that. So to me, tonight when I was seeing Duarte hit a couple of those mid-range jumpers, the first person that came to my mind was CJ McCollum. And I like it. You know, maybe it's because they both were number three. I don't know. Maybe it's just a mental thing with me. But I think mid-range game, he's he he loves that mid-range jumper. It kind of gives me some vibes, but obviously I think he's a little bit more athletic than than CJ. CJ is not like the quickest guy and not a good defender. And and we know that Duarte can be a good defender. It's just like a a matter of him getting used to the NBA and getting the respect from the officials. But at the end of the day, Foch, I mean, really, if you think about it, I think a combination of those two guys is like really like high ceiling type stuff. He's just really inconsistent right now. Um, I think his shoulder is bothering him a lot. So the shot's not falling very well and you'd like to see it be a little bit more consistent. Like he had some big moments already this year, like the big game tying three that should have been called a foul, according to the last two minute report Mm -hmm. against the Lakers, against LeBron in front of the Lakers bench too. Like the play wasn't even drawn up for him and he just, you made, uh, you know, he made chicken salad out of chicken crap. So uh, (laughs) at that point, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, but there's not enough of a sample size for me right now to like be like, okay, that is who he is. But um, I like the version that we've seen so far for the most part. Clearly, some things to work on, but um, he's a exactly. record. Look, know. I
3: mean, on his on his best days, it's fun to make those comparisons. And then if he comes out a little bit flat, it's like, whoa, did we just compare this man to Clay Thompson? But you know what? That's the fun part of making some comparisons. So on his best days, yeah, and I look forward to you know a larger sample size because then I think. We'll be able to compare him to much more players. And it won't be a ridiculous statement because this kid is special. He's a rookie. So he's allowed to have those rookie struggles. And then when you see those big moments, like you mentioned against the Lakers, I mean, be just having the ball in his hands for a game-winning, game-tying situation this early in his career is very rare.
2: Yeah. No, I agree with you, Pachi. Let's move on though, because we got a lot of questions. This comes from Stephen Grimes at SJ Grimes35. He said, "Would you rather have the Pacers be blown up, a rebuild, and trading all their veterans, or try and continue to make a push uh, for a deep playoff push?"
3: It, it, it's rough because I, I try and do everything possible to not say blow it up, but it's just like I I would not want this team to go even deeper and not have it be a big move. Like if the Pacers all of a sudden traded like their first round pick and you know. Isaiah Jackson or something like that for a player that really wasn't going to move the needle that much, it would be really disheartening. Um, So if they're going to make a move, I would like it to be a big one. But if you're going to, if you're going to make a, like a a so-so move, then don't jeopardize the future because at some point, if you're not going to be a serious contender, you do have to finally consider potentially, you know, looking towards the future and I know the Pacers for an office is very reluctant to do that they might never do that but I mean you don't want to quote go all in just to win one playoff series
2: yeah so to answer this question first and foremost I want to say that I respect the Pacers for how they handle their business because there's a lot of teams that do tank year in and year out and they're always back at the top of the lottery no matter what kind of picks they get Either the guys don't want to stay there or they do a bad job building around him. I mean, tanking is not an easy process, it's not and it's it can be very difficult. But what I will say is we've seen enough from this group of pacers that if they're not able to bring back the bigger names, I would be fine with the complete rebuild because it's something this team has never done. Never. And if they could land that top five, top 10 player the next five to ten years by tanking, it's worth it because you're trying to win a championship at the end of the day. You're trying to win playoff series. I mean, look at what the Mavericks did. The Mavericks have been a really good team, right? They uh, they missed the playoffs one year, had a really bad season under Carlisle, and, yeah, they got the, uh, the overall, got the fifth overall pick and were able to trade that with the pick for the next year to move up to number three to take Luka Doncic because the Kings thought Marvin Bagley was a better pick than Luka Doncic. so Ugh. You know, I mean, you got those type of teams that are in there that don't know how to draft. Like, you know, it's just, I sit there and I think to myself, like, it would not hurt. Like, imagine for one year, this team just absolutely is not fun to watch on TV, not fun to podcast about. But then we get the magic ball of landing in that top five, chance to move up. You get a guy like Luka Doncic, and it changes your franchise. I'm not saying there's a lot of Luka Doncic's out there in the draft, but there are guys that can become that number one star on a team and the Pacers don't even have anybody close to that right now. So I think that it's worth the investment to just go on a full rebuild and do it. They won't do it. I mean, but if it's, if it's me picking, I would much rather prefer them to do something totally different just so we could just see the experiment happen because, you know, constantly just trying to make deep playoff pushes with this roster. I just, I just don't see it happening in and I'm not trying to be negative. I just, I look at the the landscape of the Eastern Conference, and I just don't see it.
3: I, I don't, and the East has gotten a lot better. I mean, even the teams that have been so-so in the past are now finally looking like playoff teams. And when you look at this Pacers team, I, I think just like you said, we've seen enough to know like this isn't it. This team could be a playoff team, but not a true contender. And then here's what I want to say: Why we have our our dreaming caps on the people that say the Pacers don't draft well, they don't draft well when the picks are later on, but look at what the Pacers have done just inside the lottery. Okay, so at at pick 10, Paul George. All right, at pick 11, Miles Turner. At pick 13, Chris Duarte. I mean, these are really good pieces over here. Tyler
2: Hansborough, William Tisdale, Jonathan Bender.
3: I mean, hey, yeah, Bender, uh, unfortunately, the injuries were, were rough, but just in the last couple of years, the three guys that I named, those are pieces that you can work with. And those are all from 10 to 13. If you can ever get in the top five, we can find someone that can hopefully carry this franchise for 10 to 15 years.
2: Yeah, but I'd be disappointed if I tanked all year long to get a Miles Turner-level player,
3: well, which is somebody well, I already
2: have on my roster.
3: Well, yes, but we got him at 11. So okay. if you can get in the top five and get you know a top five-level player – Then, yeah, I mean, and look, for Miles Turner in his situation, he was going into college, the number two overall recruit, so it it would have been rough if he ended up being, like, the second overall pick or something like that, but falling to 11, great pick. If you can get in that top five, I mean, obviously, you're looking at a borderline star, but it's easier said than done.
2: It is. So let's move on to our next question, another one here from Jake Xline. He said, which Pacer not named Jeremy Liam do you think has the best chance of getting traded this season?
3: That's tough. That's tough. And and, and to be honest, it, it it could very well be Goga. I mean, Goga is someone wow. that I, <laughs> why don't I mean, you give not us not a good
2: up. why don't you give us a good answer, Fachi? Just be a little bit bolder here.
3: Because, because this Lamb is, is clearly
2: the guy that, that bro, these are just such weak answers, man. Like we we do this every week. Like I I'll just flat out say it. I think they could trade, I think they could trade Miles Turner by the end of this year. Just just be a little bit more bold because quite frankly, it's like you don't think they're going to trade one of these starters and blow it up? If they're really not playing great. Like they're—I mean, I, I just don't want to sit here and just be like, "Oh, they're not going to trade anybody. They like the roster." It's like, no. I mean, you think they're going to? Not, you think they're really going to trade Goga? You really think they're going to trade Goga?
3: You really think they're going to trade Miles Turner?
2: I think they got a better chance to trade Miles and Goga. Mm,
3: I don't know about that. Uh, honestly, I, I think that the only way they trade Turner is if things go real south, like on their own, like a solid losing streak or, or, you know, not really winning at all. Because here's the thing. If you break it down, no matter how boring it sounds, you're probably not going to be able to trade TJ Warren. You're probably not. And and I feel like they're going to want to ride it out a little bit because he's missed so much time. You can't trade Brogdon. All right? Then at that point, you know they're not trading Sabonis. You just know it's not going to happen. I mean, that could.
2: I I think that almost Domas has a better chance of getting traded than Goga at this point.
3: I don't know. I just imagine.
2: Goga There's just, no, va- up. There's just no, va- There's yeah. no value for Goga. Like, it's the same with O'Shea Brissett. Like, we could say, oh, yeah, they should trade O'Shea Brissett. He's not in the rotation. Oh, they should trade Tory Craig. He's a he's a role player. Oh, they should trade D.J. McConnell. It's like, these guys aren't getting you anything back. You're not just dumping them to get salary dumps. Like, if the Pacers are going to make any move outside of trading Jeremy Lamb, it's going to be one of the bigs or possibly Karis Levert in my opinion, because they're trying to really shake things up and make a push for the playoffs this season. If not, then it's just like they're not going to do anything outside of Jeremy Lane. If this
3: team is even remotely in the hunt, I don't think they're trading any of the starters at all. I think it would have to come down to them actually just – Crap in the bed and being like, "Hey, it's not happening." We're we're sitting in like the twelfth, thirteenth spot and we, with really no hope. Then at that point, people are calling about Turner. They've called every year, so yeah, I, I guess I guess it would be Miles Turner, but it, only if the Pacers really can look themselves in the mirror and say we're out of it. And you know what? They never look in that mirror. I don't even know if the Pacers own a mirror. I don't think they do.
2: I don't think you own a because you won't be bold. I want you to be bold, Fachi.
3: Well, then at that point, you've you've taken the bold pick because I can I can go through it and say I gave not, you the question first. They're they're yeah, but I'm saying you you made your pick. They're not trading Sabonis. It's not happening. You don't I think just, so? Not at all. They look at him as that's our marketable all-star player. Like we have one right there. Well, you can't you can't trade Brogdon. I doubt they're going to trade McConnell after after they just re-signed him to a three-year deal. Uh, Levert, I mean, they, they, they had so much hope in him that I I think they're going to ride it out. Let's just say
2: Pascal Siakam becomes available and they want Sabonis. You don't think they'd do Sabonis for Pascal Siakam? They would, but do but you think Toronto would do it? I'm just asking. I'm just asking you if Toronto made Pascal Siakam available. Because they got Scotty Barnes, they got OG and They got enough guys like that. Let's let's just even go look at someone like Sacramento, like we just talked about, De'Aaron Fox. If he became available, would you not trade Sabonis for him? Oh well, I definitely would. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to sit here and say they won't trade him for nothing because he's not an A-level player. He should not be untradeable. Like, even if he is a two-time All-Star, it's just like tonight against the Bucks, the champion, the championship Bucks, he gets played off the floor. He I mean it's just it's just one of those things where it's just like Sabonis is good. and does a lot of good things. I'm not hating on Sabonis, but to act like, oh, he's a two-time all-star, he shouldn't be tradable. Like we, we gotta get that narrative out of our head because I just at, think it's
3: yeah, I'm sorry.
2: No, I mean I'm just I'm just trying to give you a little bit more of a pushback because I feel like we're too easy on Sabonis. I feel like we're always like, Oh, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that. You know, they won't trade him, they won't trade Brogdon. So, like we want this team to get more athletic, and those two guys are probably the least athletic guys on our roster.
3: I just think he's such a hard player to come up with a fair package for. It's fair? like the Pacers, I, I think, would end up taking a loss in almost any trade for him because I just don't think there's a team that's looking to trade that many assets for him. So yeah. at that point, it's like, why are the Pacers just going to, if you're just going to trade bonus for, you know, A couple quarters, you know, on the dollar or whatever it is, then at that point you might as well just shut it down. Well, I'm
2: not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if they can, he asked, what player besides Lamb could you see be like most likely to be traded? Like, I'm not saying that Sabonis is the most likely, but. I think that one of the big should be the answer. Yeah. Uh,
3: it, 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 it would have, have to be fair. Because they, they it sounded like they, they came, I don't want to say close to trading him, but they entertained oh, they calls have. about they him have. in the past year after year. And it sounds like they've probably even had some discussions. I wouldn't be surprised if they've had discussions with Miles Turner, letting him know, hey, this could very well happen. But yeah. uh, it never has, obviously. So, yeah, I, I guess the answer in the end would be, if, if you're going to go with one of the starters, who's most likely – I would say it's the guy that teams call for every single year, Miles Turner.
2: Okay. Well, let's move on because that was a little bit longer than I anticipated. Sorry about that.
3: No worries.
2: Uh, I, I was uh, trying to drag it out there. But this one comes from Ethan Hott. Uh, High Pitch play is his Twitter handle. He said, what happened to o- O'Shea Bursette's minutes? I thought Carlisle had a re- uh, revelation about playing him more earlier this
3: season. Honestly, O'Shea had that 18-point game against Miami, which we've mentioned many times, and I feel like, that gave Carlisle some faith in him. And it lasted a couple of games. O'Shea struggled. And that was about it. You never saw him again until there was absolute blowouts where he'd get a couple minutes here or there. And ever since then, I feel like once, once LeVert came back, once, once other guys were healthy, I, I just feel like that that was it.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this the last couple of episodes. So if you haven't got a chance to catch this well back podcast, we've gone. In depth about those, but pretty much it's just we've had a couple guys come on and they said that he just wasn't putting in the rebounding work, the defensive work that Torrey Craig and those kind of guys were. So we saw it a little bit. He was struggling quite a bit. He lost a shot. He, he can be kind of a ball stopper sometimes, not the greatest defender. I mean, that isn't, I don't think he shouldn't be getting a chance, especially when you're playing a team like the Bucks and you need some shooting. And if he can get hot, that really does help. But it's just, you know, Carlisle had a revelation. He started playing him more in the rotation and the team started losing badly, so he took him out. And they turned it around actually a little bit better defensively when they took him out. So I think that's part of the reason that he did that, and he upped Tory Craig's minutes quite a bit. So that is why I think that happened. And then Keelan Martin came back, and he's gotten some of those minutes as well, as well as Goga, uh, and different games uh, here and there. So moving on now to Reddit. This comes from at the effing old Finn. What do you think the Pacers are going to do with Jeremy Lamb? Are we just rolling with him to the end of the year and then parting ways? His expiring seems to be the key to a lot of trade options for us, but I'm starting to think we're not going to be active at the deadline.
3: I feel like this Pacers team has to be active at the deadline. We've heard Pritchard say he's not going to just make a deal just to make a deal, but this team seems like they are straight up right in the middle of the like, yeah, it could be a playoff team or they could just be a lot of team. It could go either way. And it's just like, Jeremy Lamb is that ticketed at that $10.5 million that, you know, you can attach a player with him. You could just trade him, take on a contract. He's the only way, not the only way, but he's one of the major ways to try and either improve this team or, or just get some salary off the books. I mean, he's gotta go.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what you want to do. Like if you want to bring TJ Warren back next season, you don't have a trade out there for Jeremy Lamb. That makes a whole lot of sense. Then you let Lamb walk and, you use that money that's, you know, that the Pacers have with their tax, you know, that tax threshold because they're still under the tax, but they're over the cap, right? So basically, you just erase that money from Jeremy Lamb and slot it over into TJ Warren's bank if he ends up playing well enough and you're able to do that. But I mean, he's not in the rotation really right now. He's like the 10th or 11th man, plays occasionally, like tonight, he played against the Bucks but it was really just trying to get some offense going. We saw what he did against the Hornets. It's just like, He's a vet that can put up points. He plays no defense whatsoever. So if there's a team like the Lakers or somebody that wants some shooting and they're able to find a deal that works where the Pacers think it makes sense for them too, like I could see the Pacers maybe trading him for like a, a third-string point guard, somebody like a D.J. Augustine in, uh, in Houston, something Round like that. Round two with the Pacers? Well, I mean, for a third-string point guard, it's yeah, better yeah, than I Brad mean... Wanamaker, right? So. Oh, yeah. So I I think you could see the team maybe do something like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, Jeremy Lamb, whether he rides it out or not, it's just like he's not in the rotation. He won't be in the rotation whatsoever once everyone's fully healthy. So like you said, they probably should make a move. But if they don't, it's really just because nobody wanted him and nobody offered anything.
3: I mean, maybe at that point, I mean, would you see the Pacers maybe trying to elect for a buyout just to save some money? Because ask yourself this. They could. With with Lamb's diminished role – it seems like there's close to no chance that he would be back with the team in any way. Yeah. So why ride it out? I think at that point, at least try and work out a buyout at the minimum, but you would think that you would be able to work out some type of deal. Even if it means taking on, you know, some, some future salary.
2: I mean, there's gotta be a team out there that would be willing to take on Jeremy Lamb with his offensive abilities. Like, We can hate on him all we want for his defense, but offensively, like, that dude can put the ball in the bucket. Like, oh, yeah. Guy put 23 points up against the Hornets. Like a quarter, basically. Yeah, and a quarter and a a, a half. So it's like, okay, like, just let the man cook a little bit, and, you know, he can do some things. But with this Pacers team, it's just like they're really trying to hang their hat on defense, and he does not fit into that scheme at all. So they got to do something. The buyout's a possibility, Foch. I just don't really know. What, what's going to happen there. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Sean Nanigan's 14. What changes need to be made in order for us to really become a winning team?
3: Oh, man, that's 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 tough. I mean, first, stay healthy. I mean, you can't do anything if you can't be on the court. Um, so I would just say that. I mean, the Pacers, I think at, at this era, I mean, you really got to probably be an elite defensive team because I don't see us having enough – we don't have star players, so you can't be – a a uh, high-powered offensive team like one of the top scoring teams so it's pretty much be healthy play great defense be able to hit threes and you know right now I, I just think we're just a very middle of the pack team pretty much across the board that can't stay healthy
2: <laughs> yeah it was really funny that your voice started going in and out it like Darth Vader their first second on the audio so I'm <laughs> sure that picked up it's a pretty funny voice uh, sorry but no I agree with you it's just like gotta get healthy that's number one number two you're probably going to have to make a few trades here, just to be honest with you. Of course. Um, because you're going to have to hit on somebody in the draft next year that can be a game changer. And then, of course, you really have to consider um, making some moves. And we've talked about some today. I don't know if those are, like, the most popular ones out there. But, like, if Ben Simmons becomes available, like, that's a move you have to really consider.
3: It really is, though.
2: It, it's like your, your team's not good enough. He's yeah. a guy that could, could be somebody that could help lead your team. not saying he's a number one, but – he could be. I mean, we just don't know. I mean, he's always been behind the number one in Philly, so we don't know what his ceiling could be, but at the same time, we just, I think you just, the type of changes you need for us to be a winning team, um, maybe just a few more players that, that can help win, uh, maybe a closer, like just getting someone that can close games, that would be humongous for this team. We have zero closer. I mean, it's a, it's a by-committee thing, and Sometimes it looks great, like you saw against the Raptors, and sometimes it does not look great, like you saw against the Bucks. So let's move on to Jacoby Brisket. On the typical night, what is the ideal number of shots you'd like to see Brogdon put up? I'm not an expert by any means, and I know it's a very uh, spec, and I know it's very speculative. But it seems as if the team as a whole plays better when he's not putting up 20 plus shots per game.
3: I believe it was Mark Monteith had a, a stat that he uh, tweeted out the other night that was like. I think the Pacers were 1-5 in, in games that Brogdon had over 20 shots. I believe mm-hmm. they were 5-1 and one in games that he had under 15 shots. So it, it shows this, the stat could be a little bit skewed because some of those games where we were 5-1 and one were blowouts where Brogdon didn't need to play the fourth quarter. So it's tough. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think the team's probably better when he doesn't have to score 20 or more because, uh, I mean, 20 or more shots because I feel like those are the games where a lot of people tend to not have it going and Brogdon's trying to force a bit more and as a point guard you want to be setting up others more than you want to be scoring yourself so yeah I think if you can keep him under 15 shots it could be more of a winning recipe
2: yeah the 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 tweet right here says the best indicator of Pacers results once was number of shots Oladipo took minus 15 they were nearly unbeatable more than 20 they were terrible Malcolm Brogdon has a similar offensive game and the same holds true for him they are five and one when he takes less than 15, and one and six when he takes 20 or more. That was after, I believe, the um, the Raptors game. So I, I agree with you. Like, that's a great, st- great stat to look at. And asking about shot numbers, I mean, I think 15 is a great number for Brogdon. 10 to 15 is a really good range for him. Mm-hmm. Point guards, like you said, they're not supposed to be the ones always taking the most shots unless you're like Trey Young and you're running the offense that way. He's not that guy. A lot of people question if he's really the best point guard for this team. I think he's better off ball, in my personal opinion. But yeah. I think in terms of point guards across the league, he might be one of the, you know, I mean, what what better options could the Pacers really get at this point for point guard? We talked about that in the offseason, like maybe Lonzo Ball, but is Lonzo Ball really that much of an upgrade over Brogdon? Like maybe a little bit, but it's just like, there's still not flaws. Enough. It's, they're just flaws in his game, right? Yeah, there is. And, and so with Brogdon, like, you've got a steady player that plays pretty good defense. Like, he played good defense against LeBron, uh, against the Lakers. I mean, he didn't guard him the whole time. But, I mean, he was giving him some of that, you know, physicality. He's better when he guards bigger players like that, not the quick point guards. And uh, in terms of shooting-wise, though, I need to get back on track. It's just this team is best when they're balanced. When we saw him beat the Bulls, everybody in the starting lineup had nine shots. Sabonis had 14 that's the recipe for success. Is just everybody getting equally involved and in knocking down their shots at an efficient efficient rate. If not, then you're trying to find guys like Brogdon and Sabonis to take an uptick in shot attempts, and that can mess up the flow of the entire offense a little bit and not get guys as involved or engaged. So, um, you know, the stats say it for themselves. Five and one when he takes uh, less than fifteen might be five and two after tonight, but um, still much better than one and six when he takes twenty or more. So, let's move on to our next question here from. Uh chethered smicken. So a little bit of the inverse there of smothered chicken. How far would the team need to go this year for the front office to keep this core together next season? Feels like large change to the roster is coming, but what kind of end of season result would pump the brakes on splitting the team? The scary
3: part is I don't think this team needs to go that far for them to stay together. If they won a first round playoff series, I, I think that would be unfortunately considered a success. And they would say, hey, we just needed this team healthy. So um, I think at this point, to answer the second part of it, I would say if if the Pacers miss the playing game overall, if you're not even in the top 10, changes absolutely have to be made at that point because then you've waited and waited and waited some more (laughs) to get healthy and never really got healthy. And for the couple games that you did, saw that, hey – you know, we're pro- we're not an elite team. I was going to say we're probably not elite, but we are not an elite team. So at that point, I think you would then have to make some serious changes. But a second round playoff appearance, un- unfortunately, could lead to, uh, you know, a re-signing of T.J. War- basically keeping the core together.
2: Yeah, if they want to playoff series against a good team, I think they'd give themselves a chance to run them back, especially if they were pretty competitive in round two. Now, if they get swept yeah. in round two, then they could make a- maybe another change and think they had a better matchup in round one. But I think ultimately, like if this team, you know, makes the playing game but doesn't get into the top eight, they got to make changes. They can't run it back. There's nothing to sell with uh, the fan base on this team. It's just not a good enough roster. So you're going to have to make changes, going to have to take some risk. You know, this isn't a game of, oh, well, just wait and see. Like, you know, you can only do that for so long. You got to be a risk taking team. And uh, no risk, no reward um, is not going to get you very far. So uh, let's move on. He has one more question here. He says, if the trade deadline is the uh, February tenth, in a theory, we see a month of Warren back by then. Do you see the front office making a move, even if the team's record is on track for the playoffs?
3: Uh, yeah, I do. A, a move to try and strengthen the team. Um, I don't think if, if they're on track to be, you know make the playoffs, it wouldn't make any sense to you know make a move to take a step back. I think at that point, that's what I mentioned. I think then you would look to trade a Jeremy Lamb and and whatever you can to try and bring in someone that can be more of a nightly rotational player. But that also depends who's out there and if you could really trade Lamb for, you know, whatever is is good enough value. Yeah,
2: no, that's the thing. Um, you got to just see it. I mean, they could do something minor, like we talked about before. Buyout candidate, maybe, maybe like when they got Wesley Matthews, he was a buyout candidate. The pickup this time they signed Lance Stevenson at one point late in the season to try to give them a little bit of a push. We saw them with Larry Bird make a trade for Leandro Barbosa when he was with the Raptors. Yep, and that paid off a little bit because he was actually decent enough, but um, defensively, he was still, you know, just uh a bit of a bit of a problem there but I think if the team looks like they're playing pretty well and you want to maybe add one more piece of the bench then you can maybe package a couple guys and and go that route but ultimately I think if they're playing well they're going to keep it together I I would be surprised if they made any changes and then just waited until the offseason to see how it played out Um, they wouldn't want to mess that chemistry up heading into the heading into the deadline if they're playing well at that point that'd be my guess and so uh, let's move on to uh, another one here from Reddit a lot more questions on Reddit, so thank you guys for sending those in. This comes from Ducks Taped. He said, "Have we found out what the fans that got kicked out actually said or did to LeBron?" The masses jumped to his defense and blamed racism or threats to Bronny. I'd love clarity personally. Fachi, have you seen anything on this? I've seen a little bit, but I don't know if you have.
3: All signs seem to report to, and they, they even the guy who came forward even you know put out a picture of him standing right behind the fans. So it seems credible that it's at least. The right person basically saying, and I hope I'm wrong, but basically saying that it sounded like the fans said that they wished Bronny would, you know, die in, in a car crash. Anyway, I've I've that heard sounds, that's
2: not true.
3: I hope it's not true.
2: Um, I don't know for sure. What I have heard is that they were yelling at Carmelo most of the game, too, and LeBron, the fans that got ejected. Um, apparently, it was she flipped LeBron off, and that's what it's cost him be
3: more than that.
2: I mean. I don't know. I feel, like I, mean, that, I
3: feel like that stuff happens. And it's like, you know, players might shake that off for LeBron to like stop playing. Like these guys got to go. It yeah. sounds like you really had to have said something that really crosses the line. And I truthfully hope that they did not wish death upon anyone, let alone his son. I mean, that is beyond well, crossing. Lines. It was
2: literally one YouTube commenter that said that, and everybody ran with it. And it did. Uh, there was a guy on TikTok that posted a video where he was sad and didn't really have any audio of what was said, but he confirmed that they did not say anything about the whole LeBron dying in a car. Uh, Scott Agnes did do a report on this on Fieldhouse Files, talked with some people, but the, basically the Pacers were not investigating this. They were just going to let it be. Sham Sharani came out with a tweet today basically saying, like, they are the fans will not be banned from ever coming back into the game. Like, they're not banning them, they're not doing anything like that. So they got ejected for whatever they did. I, I'm assuming it wasn't. If it would have been the whole LeBronny thing or, or Bronny, hope he dies in a car wreck thing, like I would be surprised if they let them back into the arena for saying that. So, to me personally, I think that probably did not happen. In, in my opinion, I, I'm just guessing based on everything I've seen and what the evidence we've seen. Like it seems like that's a bit far stretched. I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong uh, or hoping I'm right by saying that they they didn't say that. But you never know. Uh, fans are stupid. Only thing I know from Scott's, uh, from Scott's tweet, it's like they were uh, – or Scott's article, she was a kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. The girl was that got ejected. So it's like what kind of example is she setting for kindergartners, whether it's flipping off LeBron or not? Just, uh, you know, you got to be wiser when you're in those seats and don't chirp it up with the other players. I mean, ultimately, I don't know for sure, but basically from Scott's reporting and what I believe Shams said in his tweets – it was more so an obscene gesture that was made and uh, they were chirping all night. So um, let's just hope for the best with that. I mean, Indiana's already got enough of a, uh, of a history with NBA players or NBA yeah, NBA players deeming us as racist. I mean, Chris Bosh had a whole article out about it um, where he just trapped that in there. So, you know, just want to clean that up if any of that's going on. So just be better out there people. Um, but let's move on. Malcolm Reynolds said, why are we not
3: seeing Guga or show or O'Shea play a lot is there a particular reason for this? I mean, I, I just think that Carlisle likes a, a shorter rotation of about nine players. And, and it's it's hard to out of those nine players have you know three centers basically in there. And for Goga, we've seen him play a little bit more, you know, a couple minutes here and there, but O'Shea's really gotten squeezed out for you know reasons that you mentioned before. And I, I think things like you know, like I mentioned, Keelan Martin, Karis Vert coming back, I feel like has kind of squeezed out O'Shea's minutes. You know, you mentioned the defensive issues. Goga, just, it's it's hard to find him minutes like that. It really is. I mean, three centers is not ideal.
2: But, yeah. I mean, you tell me. Yeah, no, they're just not playing because there's not a spot for them in the rotation. They're not good enough right now. Torrey Craig's playing better. Keelan Martin's playing better. And then O'Shea Berset. O'Shea Berset, I've seen him on the, on the sidelines a little bit. Uh, even when he's come in the game sometimes, he's just not, like, super energetic trying to prove himself. He's got to work hard to get those minutes back. So when he's got those three, four minutes at the end of the game, he's got to give it all he's got. Um, didn't watch him at all against the Bucs. So if he played good tonight against the Bucs, and great for him. That's what he has to do. In terms of Goga, he's gotten some spot minutes, but they're trying to split Domas and miles up. They're the two best centers on this team for a reason. They start. If you can split up their minutes and let them both feast at different times alone when they're not together, you got to do that. And Goga just has to understand, hey, I got to be ready at all times. Foul trouble can happen at any moment. We've seen foul trouble happen with Damante Dem- Sabonis and Miles Turner throughout the season, so he's got to be ready. But it's it's just really they're just not ready. They're not ready for this team to be what they want to be defensively in that start in that in that rotation. So um, let's move on to the next one. Call me, uh, call me, Taga. Do the Pacers have a project, short or long term? If so, what is it?
3: I guess by project, you mean plan, I would I would assume.
2: Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Jackson's a project.
3: Exactly. That's the yeah. only
2: one, maybe if, Goga.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, if that's what you're talking about in terms of project, like someone to develop, then yeah. I mean, Isaiah Jackson's for sure, like the ideal project of like, this guy has all the qualities you're looking for to develop. Goga, I felt like, was that exact scenario. We're now in year three, we're still waiting you know, like I mentioned before, from a shot-blocking standpoint, I feel like he could be really good. We're waiting for that three-point balls to fall. I mean, I feel like in extended minutes on a maybe a non-playoff team, I feel like Goga could put up, you know, some double-doubles and stuff like that. But starting to run out of how many years are they willing to commit to Goga? I mean, I know they picked up his option, so he will be back next year unless they move him. But Isaiah Jackson, I, I would label as a – promising project.
2: Yeah, I I don't really think outside of that there's any other projects for this team. So let's move on to our Instagram questions here. We got Carter Davis, 23. Will Miles Turner finally get on an all-defensive team or will he stay getting disrespected? He also said, do you think
3: Malcolm Brogdon deserves to be an all-star this year? Uh, For the second part of Brogdon, unfortunately, I don't think that he deserves to be an all-star. I think think he's played really good at times, but it would really help if the Pacers had a winning record because there's going to be some talented guys that probably get the nod ahead of him. Uh, Brogdon is one of those guys that pretty much what seems like maybe every other night or so, he looks like he could be an all-star, but it's going to be tough. I mean, winning sometimes decides that, and we saw what happened when Sabonis got squeezed out last year. We thought he had the numbers, but, you know, some other teams were, you know, the Pacers had the record, and it still wasn't enough. So uh, then over to um, – Turner, defensive Mops player Turner. of the year. I think if he stays healthy, he's making a better case this year than he's made previously.
2: Yeah, so for defensive team, like there's only two defensive teams. It's tough. I think our friend Mark Schindler put out like his top, you know, uh, first-team defense, second-team defense, and third-team defense, but there is no third-team defense. But he had miles on third-team defense for him, so for the center position. So, you know, amongst people that are covering the league as a whole – I don't know if Miles is still there <laughs> in terms of like team one, team two. For me personally, when I watch him, I mean, Rick Carlisle saying he's the best run protector in the entire world. So, you know, that's high praise from your head coach. I don't think he just blows up smoke to me making him happy or whatever, but I think Miles definitely should get respect. But, you know, if the Pacers aren't winning and the team's defense is overall not great as a team, then I can see why they don't give him that nod. Um, in terms of Malcolm Brogdon – he might be the best player so far this year on the seat for the team so far this season. I mean, you can make a case for maybe miles, you can make a case for Domash. I mean, you can make some cases for some other guys, but it's just like this team, there's so many guards in the Eastern conference right now, guys, you didn't have last year competing for positions too. So, you know, you're going to have your hands full here trying to get a pacer as an all star. I don't see it happening. Um, just just because number one, there's just too many good players in the Eastern Conference this year. And number two, the Pacers' record right now isn't good enough. So if they go on like a 15-game winning streak or something stupid like that, or like 12 of their next 15, which is maybe doable, and Brogdon just leads the team the whole time, or LeVert does, like maybe you get somebody like that in there. But I just don't see it happening, Flashy, whatsoever.
3: I, I don't. I I keep I'm tired of saying this, but I just feel like Brogdon is like really in that first class that is just below all-stars. I mean, he's he's a good player. He's a really good player. I mean, when you mentioned who's been our best, I would say that Brogdon has been the best Pacer player this year. But it it sounds rough, but how much weight does that really hold? Oh, it holds a
2: ton, bro. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I mean, the best player on a 9-13 and team right now is, unfortunately, I mean, we saw Trey Young not make the all-star team last year.
2: Yeah, and that was you know, uh,
3: yeah. I mean, eh, that I was a bit he,
2: of a snub. I mean Trey he, was pretty it, was good. Snub.
3: it was a snub. So. But how many people are gonna really then go to bat for Brogdon? Because let's be honest, guys, he's not gonna get the fan vote. Yeah. The, you, you know that's not gonna happen. So then it comes down to coaches voting. vote. And it's like, look, the coaches know that Brogdon's a, a real good player, but I think it, that some of the bigger names and and guys on teams with better records are gonna be favored there. So I think Brogdon yeah. would make it if like one or two guys you know dropped out, maybe due to injuries or or couldn't play in the game.
2: Yeah, I think Domas would get the coaches' vote out of anybody right now. One because he's got two All Star appearances, and and two, if you look at a lot of the way these teams game plan against the Pacers defensively, it's to stop Domas from what he's doing. Um, most of them are that way now. Some of them just play their basic. Defense, and that's what they do. But we've seen the Knicks, we've seen the Raptors, we've seen the Celtics do it last year. A lot of teams just try to build a wall. So Domas has a hard time down low. And uh, I think that is something that is almost like a sign of respect by voting for him. But it, it really doesn't matter at this point. I don't care about the all-star game at this point. I just want to see them get more wins in the win column. But uh, we got a three part question here from Fester 35 here from Instagram. He said, Looks like the gauntlet continues. How do you think we end up after the next nine games? 10 and 10. Wolves' only team without a winning record. Is this potentially the biggest key stretch in keeping this team together? So, obviously, the Milwaukee game, we lost tonight, but we got Minnesota, Atlanta, Miami, Washington, New York, Dallas, Golden State, and Milwaukee once again. How do you think we do in that, in that uh, uh, group of teams there, Fodge?
3: Man, I'm, I'm like trying not to giggle a little bit, but it's just like that is a hard stretch right there. Yeah. I mean – the Wolves are, like, looking like that. The Wolves or the Hawks look like the team that you would like to say, oh, that's a very winnable game. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, the Wolves, are, this is the best they've been in a couple of years. They, they got a, they got a talented team between Anthony Edwards and Cat and, and D'Angelo Russell. I mean, those are three guys that are going to be hard to stop. We, like you mentioned, we already lost in Milwaukee. So Minnesota, I would say, look, that's a game that we can win. Atlanta, we, we can win. Miami, they they've been they've been much better since we played them initially. Washington, I would like to be able to say that we're going to beat the Wizards. We came close last time, but it's not <laughs> that's
2: so good. weird to say.
3: It is. I mean, it, it's sad, but like in 2021, entering 2022, the teams that have been bad for years are now all of a sudden good. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at that, and like the Pacers are like I, this would be ridiculous. They're not going to go like 0 and 10 in that stretch, but there is not a, a gimme like easy yeah. game in that stretch.
2: Yeah, nine games, and I, I was a little bit off of my wording there, but he was saying the Wolves are 10-10. Yeah, So nine games coming up. I think you got to count losses versus Milwaukee. already got one there, so you got two losses versus Milwaukee. Probably losing to Golden State, probably oh, losing to Miami. We're losing
3: to Golden State. 17-2 so and two right now. They're, you're talking
2: about – I mean, they could beat Golden State, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. I was, But I, I mean, think I was they have a better chance of beating Golden State a, versus I'm Milwaukee trying. just yeah, because was, Golden State doesn't really have any big guys that could – um, you know, contain our, our size if we wanted to play a little bit of a different game and try to just muck it up with stuff. Like we, we came in there and took care of business against the Warriors last year on the road. So it's just like, you know, it's not like the most unfathomable thing if we had a competitive game with them. But Milwaukee, that's out of the question. So I think you're probably going to lose four games at minimum from this. And I'm already in counting tonight's loss. So five and four, four and five. I mean, splitting kind of sounds fair, but You know, realistically, I mean, you're talking this team could maybe go two and seven. It's possible. It very much is. It's just like it's it's it ranges. I mean, you're hoping they'll pull out some games that you you don't think they'll win on paper. I don't know what these other teams schedules are like. If it's like third night out of, you know, third game and four on, you know, or back to back and know, second out of a back to back like all this stuff. But just looking on paper at the schedule, I would say tomorrow is going to be a tough game. Minnesota was off today. They were off Sunday. So. They're preparing for Monday. They're at home. They just got back from Philadelphia with a big win against them. Pacers traveling after playing a physical game against Milwaukee. So it's tough. It's it's a tough schedule right now. So um, I'll just be fair and say four and five. Does that sound fair?
3: Yeah, it does because I'm I'm going through it right now and it's like I'm penciling in both losses to Milwaukee. I'm sorry, I am. And we already lost one. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So, but we're going to lose that other one, unfortunately. Milwaukee, we're just. We're just not. Ready We're going to beat Dallas. We're going to beat Dallas. We can beat Dallas. We can We're going to beat, gonna beat Dallas. Rick Carlisle's I, I, not losing to Dallas. Yeah. So here's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> we already lost to Milwaukee. We know that. I, I think the Pacers respond. They beat Minnesota. They beat Atlanta. So now you're you're one and two. Uh, they lose to Miami, unfortunately. Two and one, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they're two and one. They lose to Miami. So they're two and two. Okay. Beat Washington. So they're three and two. Uh, Man, I want to. I really beat wanna the pencil, Knicks. I want to pencil that in. So, just give me that. Four Six and, and three, Focci, go for. No, it. no, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I can't sell myself and all of a sudden be like, you know what? We're going wild. But no, I'll, I'll say the boy. Actually, the boys go five and four. All right, they go five and four. Okay. They, lose, they lose both games to Milwaukee. They lose to Golden State. They lose to Miami. So, okay. right there. And if they're going to underperform in one of those games, I, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I think it could be Atlanta too. I really do. I think Trey could give us problems. But um, let's move on to his next question. He said, I really like Brogdon, but I think if we want to unlock his full potential, it's on the wing. Do you think a more traditional point guard could help this team? McConnell is awesome, but the, the lack of three-point shot is very telling sometimes.
3: Fester, you, me, Alex, everybody out there has been dying for a traditional point guard. You just can't find them, though. You can't find a traditional point guard that has it all anymore because it's like, look, like he even mentioned, hey, look, we all like McConnell, but look, he is what he is. And it's just like you just can't find those those Chris Pauls out there anymore. I mean, they're, they're just not enough of them. So Brogdon is a good player, but we've talked about it before. He's like a combo guard. Like he, he's better off the ball. And it's like he's trying to be a point guard. I respect it, but, you know, he, he's not a real point guard. Yeah, we
2: need a true point guard. Brogdon thinks he is one. If you've heard Scott Agnes come on our podcast and talk about that or just talk about it in general, Brogdon wants to be a point guard. So I don't think he'll accept the fact um, if we go out and uh, get a point guard and move him down. I don't know what it would take to convince him to be like, hey, uh, you'll still get to run point with the second unit at times, but like you're not going to play it all the time. So um, I hope he would just buy into whatever, because if he likes being here, like he can be a great wing player. But I agree with you. McConnell, I just I – ha- I have issues with McConnell going back to just even last year. I mean, there's, there's things that he does that are really good, things that you cannot teach. He's just a hustle player, creates so much – good things for the Pacers, but at times he's easily played off the floor with his size and his lack of shooting. So just like everybody else on the Pacers roster, flawed player. And uh, depending on the matchup, he can be really beneficial, but uh, come playoff time, I think you will see his minutes diminish to a very small, small role. I mean, J.J. Barea is somebody that we compared him a lot to with Rick Carlisle being the coach and stuff like that, but Barea could shoot the three ball. I mean, Barea could put the ball in the basket. TJ McConnell, can only put the ball in the basket a certain way. And uh, teams will be able to figure out how to eliminate that because he is not a threat from three whatsoever. And they will gladly let him shoot that shot. So we, uh, we definitely need a new point guard, in my opinion, to really maximize its team. But harder to come by than, than, a thing, than you think. And uh, Brogdon will be that at least for the rest of the year. So last question here from Fester35. He said, is Turbonus actually working? Turner being a consistent outside threat on mid-high volume has really opened things up, and Sabonis is working hard defensively.
3: Uh, I would say this has been the best it's been uh, over the last few years. I mean, I know at one point... They were like a, a plus seven. And at this point, it's was like it been like two weeks or so. I'm not sure what it's what it's at now, especially when you, you know, you get at the two of them really struggle against Milwaukee tonight. But this is the best it's been. We've seen Turner really improve from a three-point standpoint. We've seen Sabonis improve from a defensive standpoint. So, you know, those guys have been good. They just can't do it alone. So it's just like in a year where finally that's worked better because in the past, I want to say those guys might have been like, you know, plus one you know better or maybe even like a little bit of a negative but this year it's been better
2: yeah um I agree with you Faji it's uh Rick Carlisle even said it them together has been much better than than previous years their their solo minutes has been more in favor of Miles than than Domas so you know at the beginning of the season it was Domas heavy good solo minutes Miles not so great and uh like a week later it was flipped and it's been that way ever since so You know, it's all about matchups. It's all about who you're playing with and who you're playing against and that kind of thing. So we've seen some weird combinations of lineups. We've seen some weird uh, rotations with Carlisle. I I think they're playing well enough. Um, They're probably, you know, it's not the ideal roster fit that you want, clearly, in today's NBA. But I'll tell you this, John. um, Not John, excuse me. um, uh, Fester. I'll tell you this. if, uh, (laughs) if If you're wanting to, like, be optimistic about it, they're two of your top 5 players so you need them out there as much as possible and they both bring really good things both are super impactful on opposite ends of the floor offense domas defense miles so you know they they're good they're they're good together to some degree flawed but but they do have some good moments together
3: they do, they do. Uh, I just, I just hope we can uh, continue to see that, but also see you know the rest of the team step up because while those guys can have a great reading together, if the rest of the guys they're playing with don't, there's nothing we can do.
2: Yeah, and this is where I got John. It's our next question, our final question from Facebook. John said, "If Reggie Miller came back to work for the Pacers organization, in what capacity would he best be suited? Upper management, front office, coaching staff, or media relations?"
3: I mean, I'm gonna eliminate media relations because I feel like we can we can utilize Reggie for more. I mean, well, like, isn't everybody wouldn't they love if Reggie could just be on the coaching staff and we could be a winning team? Like, I mean, it was just awesome. Like Larry Bird just is, is the Pacers coach for three years. They go to three straight conference finals and an NBA finals, and it was just like, oh my god, like that man is Indiana. And it would be awesome to see Reggie Miller 18 years with the Pacers. Join the staff and the team starts winning again. That would be great, but I don't think he has any interest in that. So maybe being in the front office. I mean, being a player, maybe he could see things a bit differently. I guess I'd front office
2: say. is my answer. Yeah, give this man the keys to run this franchise. Herb Simon, don't override him. Let him make the decisions. Let him look at how the NBA is being played. I think he would do a good job of making the right moves. I mean, and if he doesn't, I, I mean, I can see why he wouldn't want to do that because he's beloved here. And if he were to be given that position, he'd be like, okay, if I fail at this, everyone's going to be mad at me. You know, he doesn't want to have any naysayers about Reggie Miller. So, you know, maybe upper management would probably be the best for him to keep his name in a, in a, in a clear, you know, a clear from the negative side of things, as long as he's able just to do some like minor stuff. But yeah, um, I don't think Reggie will ever come back to Indiana as much as it hurts my heart to say it. Um, he'll uh, he'll give us an occasional wave and talk to people when he's here to maybe call one game on TNT throughout the year. But that's about as much Reggie Miller you're going to see in Indianapolis. He's, uh, he's a California guy. I don't I don't blame him for not wanting to be out here. But, Fachi, long episode once again. Lots of great questions from our listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed that. But Fachi, big game against the T-, uh, T Wolves tomorrow night or tonight whenever you're listening to this. Um, but um, we'll talk about that on Tuesday. Where can the people find us at now on social media?
3: All right. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace3. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden MBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. Now, Faji, I don't know
2: if you heard or not, but I set up Brendan King to uh Say the last three words, and uh, it was pretty ferocious, it was pretty energetic. And uh, I'll have I'll, you have to go back and listen to it and let me let me th- know what you think or tell me what you thought about his impersonation of the Let's Go Pacers. So, wow, I just wanted to throw that out there for you. I set him up perfectly, um, for uh, for the, the Pacers Raptors game. So, he gave us a Let's Go Pacers, like it was pretty good. So, you'll have <laughs> to go have back to and that. listen and uh, and uh, see if you like it. But with that being said, Fachi. If you're wanting to turn things around and forget that Bucks game and get back on a winning track against a young and upcoming team in Minnesota on the road tomorrow, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.